welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Bernie Siegel, world-renowned surgeon and best-selling author of Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Hi, Bernie. Um, I don't need to introduce Bernie Siegel too much. People know him very well from the um, his famous book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles, which really just brought a different flavor of healing back into medicine. I mean, doctors for a century have learned to talk to patients, listen to them. And modern medicine has sort of sabotaged that. And Bernie's on my podcast about a year ago, and feel free to look at my archives to look at that podcast. At that point, we actually focused on love, medicine, and miracles, and the connection of the doctor and the patient. So we're going to touch on that again today, but these next two podcasts are focused on, again, connecting with the patient. Then he has used art and stories to help make the diagnosis, and he has a lot of remarkable stories. And it's something, the book he wrote is called The Art of Healing, and he is a fascinating book. And is it just what it's called, Bernie, The Art of Healing? Yeah, The Art of Healing. So um, Bernie and I have gotten to know, know each other very well over the last five or six years. He and I have done a workshop together at Omega, and we again had a remarkable experience there where we actually used art as healing. And Bernie, do you remember that time you were on Skype and you looked at the drawings of the different participants and analyzed them? You may not remember that, but I don't remember it specifically, but we do, and we were just blown away with that. So that's why we're going to talk today is about using art as a diagnostic and healing tool. So, Bernie, welcome back, and I'm always excited to talk to you. And you've been one of my inspirations for a long time. So, yeah, I always like love talking to you. Let me just say so, that the reason I got into the art was at a workshop with Elizabeth Kugler Ross. Okay, she asked me to draw a picture. And then she started asking me questions about an outdoor scene I drew that to me had no meaning. Okay. Like, what are you covering up? What does that mean? You used white crayon on a white paper. Why are there 11 mountains? And that number meant, some, I mean, 11 trees. And that meant something. And by the time she was done, I couldn't believe that all this meaning. And so I went back to the hospital with crayons and started doing it with patients. What I'd like to start out with is, you know, my work and I know your work and we both feel that despite of my processes and books and whatever, that still the healing journey begins with the doctor patient relationship right. with the patient trusting the doctor, the doctor listening, and it's hard to solve a problem unless you understand it. And it takes time and it takes listening and listening is a skill that seems to have gone by the wayside over the last few years. And so I'll just briefly say my concept and I'll ask you to elaborate on it. But to me, the essence of creating illness or physical symptoms is when your stresses or circumstances overwhelm your body's coping capacity or your nervous system's coping skills and your body reacts. Well, so, let me give you a short version from Carl Jung. He said the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. For there, the key thing is the story for it alone shows human background and human suffering. And only at that point can the doctor's therapy begin to operate. And let me just say this, because as I say, once I get started, ladies in the emergency room, I was there seeing another patient. She'd had two weeks of migraine headaches with no relief. And they were going to admit her to the hospital. And the nurse told me about her because I was speaking up so loudly in the emergency room. She said, you may be causing her more headaches. I said, I'm sorry. And I went into the woman and said, look, let me take you through a meditation. 
to relieve your headache. Now in it, what I was looking for was, tell me what the pain feels like, and then we'll work on it. And she said, pressure. So I went through a dialogue with her on relieving the pressure, not just in her body, but her life, see? And when we were done, and I'd say this because if she were my patient, I would have said to her, what's the pressure in your life? What fits that word in your life that you need to eliminate? Um, but I didn't want to intrude on a private level. So I left her. 25 minutes later, the nurse called me. She said, her headache is gone. She's going home. It's her marriage. <laughs> they, and another young woman, having cancer, it's a failure. Well, what is that about? My body failed. I said, that's not my question. What fits it in your life? Oh, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must have been a failure as a child. Wow. And many years ago, I was suffering from vertigo. I mean, I, it was hard to stand up. Everything was spinning around. So one morning I said, hey, stupid, why don't you act like a patient? What's it like? Well, the world is spinning around. Right, you're doing too damn much. So you have a wonderful symptom. It makes you lie down. Because I was traveling all over the planet, lecturing and teaching. And, and that simple thing, the world was spinning around. Yes, lie down, take it easy. Don't keep going everywhere. And then all the symptoms disappear. Wow. I mean, I want to ask about, a little bit more about this, but the essence of what we're saying is that your body translates your stresses into physical symptoms, right? Right. And what, what doctors don't understand, we're treating just symptoms. And again, we don't know the patient. We don't know their coping skills. And so we treat just symptoms, which works short term, but it doesn't really solve the problem or, or prevent disease. Right. And so we, you're under this prolonged stress and your coping skills start buckling and you become sicker and sicker and sicker and we treat more and more symptoms. I mean, it's not uncommon in this day and age to see patients come in on 10 to 20 different medications. Yeah, It's unbelievable. And the root cause is the interaction between your, I call it the input or your environment or circumstances and then the actual nervous system and then the output, which is your body's metabolism, chemistry, physiology, inflammation, all those things result from the body translating your circumstances into physical right. symptoms. The one student, he called me, he said, my professor thinks I'm crazy. This was decades ago. I said, what is it? I want to do my thesis on body, you know, chemistry and how emotions affect it. And he said, that's crazy. What difference does it make? He said, I wanted to use two actors, put them in tragedies, put them in comedies, and then draw their blood. I said, I'll call your professor to tell him that makes sense. So he okayed it. And sure enough, they're put in a comedy, immune functions up, stress hormone, um, excuse me. Yeah, in a comedy, immune function up, stress hormone levels down. Then they had a tragedy in which the man murders her husband and they run into each other. And he's drawing their blood. And of course their immune function plummeted and the stress hormone levels went way up. So again, it's, I always say Monday morning, well, heart attack, stroke, suicides and illnesses. If you loved your life, Monday morning wouldn't be an issue. And even more significant, I met lots of cancer patients who I thought were dead. I mean, you know, you didn't see them anymore. Um, I never gave them negative messages, but 
they just stopped coming back to see their doctors. And he'd run into them and say, why didn't you come back? Um, well, what's the point? All them getting is negative messages. But then I'd say, well, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? And they <laughs> always had a story to tell you about how they changed their life. Okay, moving to Colorado, quitting being a lawyer, playing a violin, getting a dog, buying a house on the ocean in Florida, um, you know, and then they noticed, hey, I didn't die. And the hospitals were impressed, too, because they couldn't deny that they're expecting this person to die and they're not. And the other side, how you kill people, you have lung cancer, you develop cataracts. It's screwing up your life. You can't play with your, your grandchildren. You can't read the papers. You call your insurance company. I want to get cataract surgery. No, you have lung cancer. We're not going to pay for it. You'll be dead in six months. He died in a week. He was so depressed. He went home, got into bed and died in a week. And I don't make up, believe me, any of these stories. It's just all these people I knew. You know, I had the same experience when I was a first year resident in internal medicine. I had a gentleman I saw at the residence clinic, nice guy, about 80 years old, and he had lung disease, but it wasn't terrible. Actually, we managed it on like two medications, and I didn't know anything about stress and illness at all, and all I know, he came in at Christmas to the hospital and died three days later, and I'm going, what? And what happened, what I found out as I was talking to him in the hospital is that his son in Seattle, I lived in Spokane at the time, about a five hour drive, that his son and daughter-in-law in Seattle had not invited him over for Christmas. That was it. And he came in, he just absolutely died of respiratory failure. Blew me away. Right. I mean, it doesn't blow me away. I know. It became so familiar, even in our family. My father had many problems. So he said to my mother, I need to get out of here. My mother said, help him out of bed. I said, Ma, he wants to leave his body. So we arranged a great big party for him because he told us, I'll die Sunday. So we had a wonderful party. And this is what was a wonderful moment. I said to my mother, how did you two meet when I was in the hospital with them? She said, I was on the beach with girls I didn't know, a bunch of boys tossed coins and your father lost and got me. My father died looking so damn healthy. I thought we got everybody in the family who came here to say goodbye. And now he's going to say, I'm having so much fun. I'm not dying today. But when the last person came and again, the consciousness, how does he know? The last person who said I'm coming walked in. He took his last breath and died. And it, it, nobody there was troubled about death, if you know what I mean. Right. Even children, grandchildren in the room who were very nervous, but they looked at me like, is that what death is like? He's dying with a big smile on his face. And I always tell people, you want to go to hospice, ask them these questions first. Do you have dropouts and graduations? If they say yes, then go there. Because if they really improve your life in preparation for death, you'll say, you know, I'm feeling better now. I think I'll go home for a while. And, uh, you know, but if people are not having that experience in hospice, then they're not really taking care of them. So I want to just emphasize this one point, because in the second half, we're going to use, talk about a specific topic on your book. Again, it's called The Art of Healing, right? right. Yes. So using art is both a, as a diagnostic and therapeutic tool. And 
But I want to get to that on the second podcast. But on this one, I still want to talk about this relationship between the doctor and the patient. Again, the stresses versus the patient's coping skills. And can and I don't want I don't want to rant too much today, but it appears to me the last 15 years in medicine that we really don't talk to patients very much anymore. To me, it seems like it's getting worse. Do you have any comments on that? No, it is because just as you said about drawings, you say to medical students, this is what shocked me or to doctors, but I had a hundred medical students at one of the schools out in the Midwest, draw yourself as working as a doctor and then pass all the pictures up to me. One extreme, there was a picture of a bunch of equipment, including a computer, nobody in it at all. Okay. All the rest, except for one, showed this student sitting behind the desk with a diploma on the wall, no patience. The last one showed a student kneeling in front of a wheelchair, giving the, the patient a tissue. There's a real doctor. That was just one of them though? Just one, one yeah, of the medical students? One showed it with a person in it. He was helping, you see, and, and that's, Again, we're not trained to care for people. We're not trained to know ourselves. Right. Why do you become a doctor? Right. I mean, if you say, well, I want to save lives, they're all going to be lost someday. And then what are you going to be, a failure? You know, it's caring for people. Yeah, right. what changed my life, literally, think of this being told to doctors. Because I was at a conference where I thought it was for doctors, and I was the only doctor in the room by Carl Simonton, the physician who wrote Getting Well Again. But my patients were there, so they all came over and sat with me, which to me was a wonderful compliment. They weren't running away from me. Right. And this young woman said, I came, you know, I have cancer and I need, oh yeah, this is, she said, you're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I want to know how to live between office visits. That, redirected my life See, to not cure diseases but to help people live and then as i say the byproduct is how come you didn't die when you were supposed to oh well i started living yeah right. yeah i mean well, there's two there's two parts of this equation one of them is the creation of disease and one is the resolution of disease so the only possible way of curing cancer truly curing cancer is when you recruit your body's immune system to just wipe out the cancer. There's no other process that can do that because chemotherapy kills everything, including the cancer cells, including you. The immune system kills off foreign bodies and connecting to your sense of safety, purpose, and goals fires up the well, immune system in a powerful way to actually solve the problem. Let me say how powerful the mind is. First, doctors aren't trained to talk to people. Right. One of my patients was a Quaker. He was a conscientious objector. He came to me, he said, I went to see the oncologist. He said, Dave, I'm going to kill your cancer. I said, I don't kill anything. And I walked out of his office. Now he went home and did alternative therapy and lived for 10 years. But you see, if the doctor knew his patient, he wouldn't say, I'm going to kill your cancer. He could have said, oh, I'm going to make you well. Right. Difference. Yeah. So the killing is, is a part. Now, the other is the power of the mind. My patients began to be called Siegel's crazy patients because of how well they did in the hospital. And, you know, I was considered not so are my patients, but then they saw the results. An example, I get a phone call and I don't make up any of these stories. Bernie, what? I thought the 
radiation therapy machine was broken. This patient is lying here. She has no reaction to radiation at all. But then I saw your name in the chart. So I knew it's not the machine, it's a crazy patient. So I went in and I said to her, how come you have no reaction to radiation? Oh, I get out of the way and let it go to my tumor. Nice. So yeah. I would prepare people for chemo, radiation, and surgery and get criticized by nurses. Your patients refuse pain medication. Did it ever occur to you they're not hurting or not having side effects? How could that be? You know, but they began to realize it was what was in their minds then about surgery. And one last story that a woman who came all the way from North Carolina, because somebody who knew her up here said, oh, Dr. Siegel gets people well all the time. She didn't even ask me. The lady just shows up. And, you know, yeah, I felt concerned. Oh, and she had leukemia. I said, that's not my thing. I'll get my oncologist friend to come over. So he went to see her and said, I agree with the doctor. She's got two months to live. Because the doctor told her, don't bother with chemotherapy. You'll feel lousy for the last two months of your life. But he said, I know you and your crazy patients, so I'll give her hope. That was his exact quote. And then every two weeks, I get a note from him. Doing well, very well, extremely well, in complete remission. That was after six weeks. He said... You know, because he said, I'll give her hope. I know you and your crazy patients. And she's in complete remission. So, Bernie, I'm going to rant again. I just want to get extremely clear for the audience right now. So there's a paper out of Austin, Texas, by Dr. Robert Dancer. And he looked at all the social variables that affected the immune system. And he found four major ones. One of them was um, optimism. One was a sense of control. One was social connection, and the other one was a positive affect, but they directly affected the immune system. This is not some psychological right. construct. Right. So, so let me. So this to me goes back and to high school. Not just cancer. There was right. a doctor in Australia. You go home after a heart attack to a house with a dog. They had a better survival rate than people who didn't have a dog in the house. And the question is, people aren't asking, and doctors aren't asking this question. Well, why? I mean, it's not some psychological construct that you live longer. I mean, you're actually alive or you actually have disease or not. And what about autoimmune disorders? They don't just happen. I mean, that's a very serious reaction of your immune system attacking your own body. Why does that happen? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty real, real structural damage. So what I'm saying is that your body that has no hope, no positive affect, depressed, actually has a compromised immune system. And conversely, those same tools turn around and actually cause a major healing process. Right. So again, the essence of illness is when you can't cope with your stresses, your, your body reacts. And when it's sustained, you get seriously ill. And so right now, I'm going to ask, here's what I'm going to say. Here's going to rant a little bit. So you're translating your circumstances into physical symptoms. That to me is like high school science class. This isn't so hard. This isn't really a psychological construct is that you're, if you're threatened by a dog or angry boss or whatever, your heart races, you breathe quickly, you sweat. That's high school science class. Yeah, Why is it so hard to understand? Fear is an appropriate feeling when, right. you know, when a rabid dog is chasing you or a poisonous snake, you end up running faster than you ever run before, climb a tree you never could have climbed before. Right. But if you live with that fear, it tears your body to pieces. It can't keep up living with fear. 
Right. So our role as physicians is to get to know our patients and help increase their coping skills and teach them strategies, help them exercise, diet, all these things drop inflammation and people heal. And so, you know, we have an illness model, as you know, compared to, you don't actually solve chronic pain, you actually move into wellness. And as you move into wellness, you crowd pain out of your life. If you're trying to fix the illness, your attention's on the illness, you actually just make it worse. Yeah, and it's not blaming people. Right. You know, like a lot of doctors used to say, because, and let me explain how the drawing, how it makes a difference, because it's created by the patient. A woman um, from the newspaper came to see me to interview me, and I could tell her attitude towards me was, what a nutcase he is, you know? <laughs> so I said to her, do me a favor, draw me a picture of yourself. Um, well, I see a couple of patients and I'll sit down with you and we'll go through the article. Um, because I, I got to hold this up in front of you. This is 1999, 1989, Dr. Love. Okay. And at oh, the top, it says Bernie Siegel and his controversial theories of self-healing. Right? That's my point. Why, why, but Bernie, that's my point. Why is it so controversial? This is high school science class. Yeah, but nobody believed me in 1989, see? Well, it's worse and now. Studies began to come out about genes and body chemistry, but she drew this picture, see? And in it, it shows her with a really big head, and I knew she was an intellectual, you know what I mean, in her head, not her heart. But on the wall behind her in this picture is a clock with one hand pointed at six. So I said to her, yeah, pointed at the number six. I said to her, what happened when you were six years old? Now, if you were my client or patient, I would have said, why is six important to you? To let the person, but I knew I got to shake her up. So I said, what happened when you were six years old? Turns out she'd been sexually abused. Wow. But when I asked her that question, the look on her face was like, oh my God, he's not crazy you know, all the things that he's doing. And that changed the interview and her life. So, so Bernie, we're out of time for this podcast. So we'll go into the more into the art and the stories in the second podcast here. But, you know, I'm always excited to talk to you. I always get very inspired. And of course, you know, I have the same problem you do with this crazy theory stuff. But, you know, mainstream medicine does not have any data. They don't have data for what they do. And actually, we do. So that's a whole different topic that we'll talk about at a future podcast. So Bernie's book, he's one called Love, Medicine, and Miracles, which I've always recommended to many, many people. And that was published, what, a while back, right? What year was that published? In the mid-80s. Mid-80s. And then when was The Art of Healing published? Oh, you know, probably about 15 years ago. Yeah, it's a remarkable book. So I'd highly recommend looking at both of those books. They're very interesting. It will give you a lot of insight into your own um, symptoms and diseases. And yeah. they're really very powerful books. You'll enjoy those. So Bernie, thank you very much for this episode. And we'll talk in a second. One quote in his book, Cancer Ward, Solzhenitsyn talks about self-induced healing, not a spontaneous remission. And the symbol, a rainbow colored butterfly flutters out of the book that one of the men was reading to everybody. And you see, that's where the wisdom is intuitive. The rainbow, your life in order, the butterfly transformation. So that's the thing we can learn, you know, help people 
transform themselves and gain the benefits of it. Right, absolutely. No, this is a perfect ending. So Bernie, thank you. And uh, always good to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, for being on the show today and for sharing the importance of understanding the patient's story as a way to promote the healing process. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.thedoctrine.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 